I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and this week, something close to the bone for me, recovery. We're going to dive deep into the recovery mindset. And most specifically, what we're going to talk about is a couple of case studies with very performance-driven people, actually athletes that I've worked with, one of which, John, is more of a fitness enthusiast, and the other, a little bit more of a high-achieving triathlete. And I hope as you listen today and you hear their stories and how we created a little bit of sensible intervention around what they're already doing to help them find their performance improvements. I hope that you just find a little bit of the stories that maybe can be useful to you and your journey. Now, what you won't hear today is anything from a snake oil salesman. You also won't hear pseudoscience. You won't hear quackery. In fact, I won't tell you to go out and get any more supplements, any new tools or toys. It's going to be simply habit-driven stuff. And so with that, We're going to do some case studies this week. But before we do so, let's do that jingle. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the way. What's up in the book? It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Well, the word of the week this week is good to go. Good to go. Why would I possibly have a word of the week, or I guess it's really a phrase of the week, I know, but why would we have a word of the week good to go? Well, that's the title of a new book by a good friend of mine, Christy Ashwanden. Now, Christy is the lead science writer for 538. Many of you guys have heard of that website and news platform, driven mostly through the popularity of Nate Silver. And she has written a book. In fact, I know that this has been extensively researched because Christy came to me a couple of years ago and said, would you mind if I interviewed you for a new book that I'm going to do on recovery? And I thought, wow, fantastic, interesting. The Christy Ashwander wants to interview me, little me, for the subject of recovery. And then everything went quiet for a couple of years after our interesting conversation that we had. And suddenly, boom, the book arrived. And the book is, in in all honesty, a fantastic and very deep dive into the magical science. In fact, not the magical science, but the very basic science of recovery. I think Christy does a wonderful job of dispelling so many myths because just as in so many other aspects of performance, recovery, now that it is really quite trendy, has become prone to all that snake oil salesman type stuff. And so the word of the week this week is a little bit of the tip of the hat to Christy and her book, Good to Go. I think you should check it out. But if you're really interested and you're very lucky and you're San Francisco based, You can come and meet Christy, and even little humble me is going to be coming along. At the Bindery, it's February 24th, 2019, that is, 4 p.m., that's a Sunday, and Christy is actually going to be interviewing me. We're going to have a discussion around this subject, recovery. Come all ye faithful, open to everyone, invite your friends, San Francisco, it's a great bookshop, we should have quite a showing, and you're welcome. 
feel free to spread it around. Sunday the 24th, we're going to put the flyer in the show notes, but I'm really excited and to be quite honest, rather humbled that I've been invited to help support the book, but also hopefully do an enjoyable afternoon or early evening with a session on a subject that's so close to me. And so I thought, before we have that little get together, that it might be really apropos for me to do another podcast on that subject that is such a critical piece to Purple Patch methodology. In fact, it is one of our Purple Patch pillars of performance. And so the word of the week this week, it should be Christy really, but we're going to go with the title of her book, Good to Go. Go grab it at Amazon. And now let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes, guys, and the subject today is all about fitting that subject of recovery into your high motivation and your performance chasing. Now, as we go into this, I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to go through some case studies today because I think case studies are a wonderful opportunity for learning. And maybe, just maybe, you might see a little bit of yourself in our stories. But to get us going... I want to tell you a story because when we talk about recovery, I remember when I very first started Purple Patch and a good mate of mine, Derek Robson, said something to me. He said, my biggest resource is time. Get me more time and I would pay anything for it. Now, being the coach that I am, this little story has a time saving element to it. And so I solved his problem almost immediately. I simply told him, stop supporting Derby County Football Club. They're rubbish. It takes up entirely too much of your time, Derek. And ultimately, they are always going to be a disappointment. Now, he still hasn't paid his invoice for my time and I can't really expect it. And I doubt that he's given up supporting Derby. But his thought stayed with me. My most precious resource is time. Now, that thought is critical for pros because when we think about finding time and managing stress the pro athletes are training 15 20 25 30 or more hours every week and of course this is a part of their job and the components that take up the time for so many of us are the recovery components eating sleeping massage Close your eyes and dream of a pro and you likely conjure up the visual of grit and effort and suffering. But I would also hazard a guess that you might envision massage and rest and eating. It doesn't take much. And so, yes, recovery is an obvious component of a professional athlete's life. And it takes up time, stuff that we as time staffed individuals simply don't have. But consider this, the pro has to mostly manage physical training stress. And so we're looking with the pro athlete to maximize training load. And in order to do so, we minimize as much as we possibly can life stress. So we make life very, very simple. We minimize late nights. We try and mitigate too much travel. They don't have typical work to speak of. So really, it's quite a focused existence. In fact, you might even call it a little bit of a monk's life. 
But what about the truly performance-driven enthusiast? They who only train, only in parentheses, 4, 8, 12, 16 hours a week, their training stress is less. But they, or you likely, are still managing a whole heck of a lot of stress. Work commitments, sleep deprivation, travel, family, low opportunity for downtime. We simply cannot absorb as much training stress as a pro. But we sure as heck manage a vast majority of stress in our daily life. And for this reason, recovery within a time-starved life is a critical backbone to your performance evolution. You simply have to get it right if you're not only going to improve in your sport, but also thrive in health, in your work performance, and ultimately being the best version of yourself that you can for your family and friends. Recovery cannot be an afterthought. But at the same time, as Derek told me, it cannot take up much time. And for that reason, it has to be a part of your life. Now, unfortunately, as awareness of the importance of recovery has emerged, and it's evolved from just being the tough man or woman who can hang on the rope and only weakness means we drop of the attitude of the last decades, it's opened the door to a fleet of pseudoscience snake oil salesmen and heavy marketing that only leads to confuse you and dilute the message around recovery. And yes, Ben Greenfield, I'm talking about you, mate. So today, let's carve through the quick sells. Let's go through the line of broken promises. Because in order for you in a time-sensitive way and a smart and pragmatic way to integrate recovery into your life and performance, you don't have to buy toys or take potions and lotions. In fact, as we go through the case studies today and we talk about integrated recovery, we actually want to shift your lens to show the recovery mindset, your true backbone of performance evolution, and ultimately your route to maximize, and this is what we all want, maximize your return on training investment. And so with that, let's get going. Let's start, and I want to point out as we go through this, that both of these case studies are real people. But let's start, and I've changed the names, by the way, just to protect their identity. But we're going to start with John, who's a fitness enthusiast. And John is in financial services. He's New York-based. He has, as you might imagine, a pretty high-pressure job, and he also has three kids. And he wants to be a real family man. At the same time, he wants to thrive. He understands the importance of fitness and training to not only look good and feel good, but ultimately to perform as well as he can in his work and for his family. And so he has a performance mindset. But I think in John's case, his weakness in some ways was that he lent a little bit too much into the toughness side of things to get through. So his challenge as he was going along in his performance journey was a couple of key things. The first is reoccurring muscle injuries and frequent bouts of sickness. Of course, that shows me straight away there's a stress issue, a mechanical stress and a hormonal stress issue. And ultimately, coupled with this challenge, is that he hasn't strung together six months of truly integrated training for a very long time. It's been upended and challenged all the way through. And so when we looked at John, 
and we tried to look for a diagnosis, there are a few things that really bubbled up to the surface. The first is that his performance challenges were not down to a lack of trying. And that's very common. He was highly motivated. He was willing to do the work. Most adults that are, I would say, performance driven are not unwilling to work. And I can understand, therefore, his frustrations. He was throwing the kitchen sink at his performance evolution. And I want to read you the list. And these are just some of the things that I identified for the sake of this show. But here are some of the things that he integrated into his daily and weekly recipe, as you would call it, to try and facilitate recovery and maximize performance. The first, supplements. He had a dedicated cabinet of potions and pills, vitamins, minerals, shakes, everything legal, of course, but a cabinet of joy. The second thing that he was doing was counting calories and weighing his food. Now, I cannot count the number of elixir diets that he has been on. Every trend, every fad over the last four years. He'd gone from vegan to fat adaptive to ketosis to everything that you might imagine. He was a lover of compression. In fact, he even admitted to me, sometimes he wore compression under his suit pants. He had an e-stem machine, a foam roller, a massage stick, weekly body work with a therapist, post-workout recovery shakes, that one's a good one by the way, heart rate variability or HRV for his tracking, three to four brands of different running shoes, all by the way, with a wide range of cushioning and price, including the Nike Vaporfly, probably the worst choice for this mediocre 180 pound runner. And then, of course, a variety of monitoring tools, power, heart rate, pace, sleep apps, movement apps, posture correction, and more. But what was he missing? What was he missing? He was missing building blocks of basic habits. You see, so much of the list above that we talk about diffused John's ability for his capacity to think and follow through on some of the really basic aspects of repeatable performance. And it also diluted his ability to feel and adjust relative to his life. You see, the issue for John in the diagnosis was he was an over-engineer of both life and sport. He was aiming to model efficiency into a spreadsheet. But guess what? Life isn't bridge building. It's Team building. It's a fluid and dynamic process. And he had so many gaps in his approach. You see, ultimately, John, as I reviewed his habits and looked at him and interviewed him and discussed his mindset, we really realized that he was wholly reliant on data and data alone on his decisions on whether to push through and back off. He didn't listen to the animal. He didn't listen to gut. He never rose out of the weeds to reflect on the why and the reasons behind fatigue. Instead, he just relied on data. Secondly, he had consistently compromised sleep. He utilized screens at night before bed. He had very poor organizational skills, despite actually having a high-functioning job. And so the whole time he felt like he was chasing his tail because he was managing so many aspects of life and then forcing training into that life. 
He was ultimately cramming way too much in relative to the reality that he had. So he wanted, he desired five hard days of training with just one day off. I'm going to train hard, I'll have a recovery day, and I'll have an easy session. Five hard days. And that's just not how it works. He pushed for eight hours a week of exercise and training rather than an effective six. And he never had rest for himself. He never had the space for mind space. He never gave himself time just to decompress. It was family, it was work, it was training, it was compromised sleep. And ultimately, what John had to realize is that consistent overdrive only leads to long-term underwhelming. Finally, his niggles would always become injuries. A hotspot would have the Spanish Armada thrown at it. Ice, intense foam roller, heavy stretching and more. And so therefore it became an issue every time. A little hot spot left alone with maybe a little bit of heat and a little bit of rest and therefore it would go away. Instead became a crisis, a musculoskeletal crisis in part because of fear because of his injury history but also because he was so performance driven and he had all the toys and all the tools that he might as well go full on East End machine, compression, foam roller, dig, 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 stretch, stretch, stretch. And you know what would happen? A hot spot became an injury almost every time. So what was necessary for John? Well, first, to be honest, an education. You see, in the intervention to John, what we actually had to do, and it's probably no surprise to you, is simplify. And so how can we take the recipe and the paralysis of analysis and throw in the Spanish Armada of all of the toys and tools against the issues and instead strip it down to its basics to make something repeatable and habit-driven? Well, the first thing was to try and give John actually some family time, some breathing room and some capacity just to decompress. And so his rest day each week, and I wanted to keep John on a static rest day because of the global context, but bi-weekly, every other week, his rest day was a family day. So rather than doing it on a Monday, where he would still get up for work, commute into the city, work his butt off all day, get home, have a glass of wine and have no time to really to have any downtime and real family time. Instead, we made his rest day on the weekend. We made it a Sunday that he could sleep in, spend time with his family, not train, and just give himself a Sunday special time to organize his week. So giving himself space to have time. There's that Derek Robson, most precious resource. In the training recipe, we then identified two days, and only two days, where it was very tough, challenging. We wanted to shift the way and evolve the way that we built and viewed the program. And so we shifted the layout. We designated strongly one to two very hard days. And ultimately, the mission for John was to try and execute those days on the days that he had good sleep the night before and he felt good. Not 
what his HRV told him, which is highly valuable data, but when he felt good, when things were going well and he was less fatigued. And so we adopted a dynamic mindset. Here are your seven days. Here's your every other week Sunday that you have with the family. And here are the two days that we're going to try and move the performance needle. You need to get those in during the week at some time. We then supported those workouts with supporting sessions, highly valuable, recovery in nature, technical in nature, or basic endurance in nature. So still great, good energy feeding and health promoting exercise sessions, but in support of the tough ones. Easy meant easy, hard meant hard. We also made sure that he was, because I always do, fueling post-workout and kick and screaming as he did. For a few weeks, he went with no metrics. Yep, everything was done by feel. Now, the goal, the success, the barometer of the health of the program was not to hit XYZ metrics, not to get some magic threshold, not to improve his running pace, but to simply create two months, two months of consistency. He hadn't created six, so let's start with two. Now, those two months of consistency became three, became four, became five, and ultimately six months of consistency. We had another couple of rules and thoughts. Less than six hours of sleep in a night, you could not, John could not follow it with a key day. He had to earn it with good supporting habits. And finally, for his body work and foam roller, well, I wanted the body work on the tougher days of training. So try and align it as much as he could when possible to do it on the tougher days. And his foam roller, he was only allowed to do a seven minute routine that always remained the same and never had a singular focus on any hot spots. You don't overstretch, you don't overbeat the muscles up, you just let them be and recuperate. So I think we can call it an intervention. But the thing is, the education was key. In fact, we wanted to shift the language of my intervention into, and you might laugh at this, into quackery language. And so the way that I pitch this to John is to say, this is going to be special, John. This is your super booster 60 days of performance driving. It's a magic elixir. The super booster 60 day special. Of course, it made him laugh, but he also realized the vapor of so much of the other practices that he'd been following. By getting it down to basics, the results flowed from it. The results were firstly, liberation. After so much challenge and so many questions, which of course is all part of the education and in some ways the grieving process of letting go of so much of what he thought was important before, he actually was provided with a sense of liberation. He also established control and ownership. And that word is really important, empowering an athlete to create ownership or agency over their journey. And ultimately, the sport that he loved, his fitness, didn't become a second job. Now, he was hesitant, but this is the key thing. He went with it. And two years on, it hasn't been perfect. 
yeah, he's had two or three colds over the last couple of years. He had a back issue for three or four weeks. So no, he's not 100% clear. And we wouldn't expect any athlete to be 100% clear. But he's in a good place with a simplified life anchored around a shift in mindset of recovery. So what's the lesson for John? Well, the lesson for John and the lesson for all of us is quite simply, you cannot buy recovery. Your habits and your mindset create the power of recovery. It's simple, but we have to acknowledge it does take confidence and understanding. There is no quick fix and integrated recovery means consistency that leads to performance gains over time. So that saying, it takes courage to recover. Well, that's true, but I think it's also important to acknowledge that we only managed to succeed here because John was both open and coachable. He was willing to evolve and equally willing to try an evolved approach. And that's a part of it. It doesn't just happen. It's not just about me telling someone what to do. It's about them buying in and taking real ownership over their journey. Now, the good thing is he gets a whole bunch of saving in precious resources. He's got space in his house. After all, his medicine cabinet is now pretty much empty. He's got more money. He doesn't piss it away on gadgets and voodoo. And he's got more time. He spends more engaged and present time with his family and kids and is engaged in his training when he is training. And so, no, his recipe is not balance, but it is integrated performance into life. And that's what we're looking for. Now, let's transition. Let's talk about the second case study today, because the next one is about getting the recovery recipe right to maximize performance yield at the higher end. So this is the antithesis of the type of behavior that I see from athletes looking to make a huge jump in performance and also one who actually have previously hit high levels of performance but find themselves aging in the sport. They've been doing it for eight, nine, ten years. Maybe they're in their late 30s of elite racing and they just don't have the courage or the ability to start to truly integrate recovery into their performance recipe. Well, we have a saying at Purple Patch, evolve or die. And I think we can apply that saying directly to this case study. So I want to tell you a story about Julie, who's a highly competitive age group triathlete with actually pretty good training capacity. So less time starved than our fitness enthusiast, John. She's highly motivated. She's a hard worker. She's a high achiever. She's qualified to the Hawaii Ironman several times, but she wants to break through to the next level. Her challenge is that ultimately there's a misalignment of race day performance against her trained potential. So in other words, what she displays on the training course doesn't bubble up into the same race day performance that we would expect. And so when we think about Julie, we had to dissect everything, her approach to training, her habits, her mindset, her confidence. What was the thing that could unhinge her best race performance? How could we take her to the next level? Well, in a diagnosis, the headline news on her was actually ironic. She had, in many ways, too much of a good thing. 
You see, she had a load imbalance with the recovery being underserved relative to the training load. And I didn't feel like it was allowing performance jumps or the greatest adaptation from all that hard work put in. The next part of the diagnosis was all around looking over the fence. You see, Julie had a tendency to chase more to try and get to the next level. And the ironic solution was the next level was already in her. She just needed to bring out what she could already do on the training days. It just wasn't happening on race days. But of course, it's a tendency as a high achieving elite athlete to chase more and more and more. If I'm at this level, the only passage is to do more. And so I realized that she was looking over the fence, looking at others' training programs, not thinking about herself and chasing more. So far as eating for Julie, she was a great clean eater. She had a nice platform of all of the nutrients you would expect. Her basic habits were really good. There was just a volume challenge. She probably wasn't eating enough relative to the amount of training that she was doing. So her recovery was underserved by it. Her preparation for the tough sessions wasn't adequate. And so there was a component of eating, as there so often is with male and female elite athletes, in which we actually had to not evolve the habits or the timing and not really change what was in the eating program, but actually just amplify, eat more calories to provide support for the training load. And then, of course, the actual recipe of training itself. She had too many sessions and days that were hard. There just simply wasn't enough easier days in there. She had three, if not four days, typically four days that were very, very tough. And the one thing that she missed was actually managing and looking at global stress, having a very hard bike ride with a runoff one day, the next day a hard swim with an endurance ride, the next day having a very challenging swim and a speed run. Every single day, was a little whack of a hammer. And when you accumulate it over the course of seven seven days, it ended up causing suppression. And so ultimately, she was systemically stressed, slightly underfed, looking to chase more, and there simply wasn't enough of a balance between that magic recovery and the training stress that she was trying to achieve. What it really meant, her recipe wasn't ideal in providing the performance yield when it really counted. And so what could we do? Well, the intervention in Julie's side, of course, was the antithesis of what the instinct is. Because when performance isn't there, the instinct was to throw more. But in fact, it typically comes down just to being more precise. And so a highly effective training session is much greater value than the collection of mediocrity. And this was the driving mission for Julie. We went for a precise program with just the big days being enough to support the platform of progression. So the fundamentals, we brought forward a recovery mindset to the very forefront of the weekly training approach. For her, that meant two, yes, just two, only athlete, two big hard days of training. We then allowed her to add one day of endurance. Two big days, very challenging, often stacking up because she's a triathlete, hard swim, hard bike with a hard run off. But all of the other days, 
being there for a supporting purpose, but not to try and drive the performance needle forward. What does supporting purpose mean? Technical, recovery, yep, there's that word again, and preparatory, setting up a key session. And so really, she only had three days of the week, two very challenging and one a bit more endurance-driven, which were really designed to move the performance needle. And everything else was in service of those days. Suddenly, it wasn't a casserole of good ingredients. Instead, it was very defined meat and two veg. I told you we were on the meat and potatoes right now. As a part of this, I had to persuade, and persuasion is the word, I had to persuade Julie to stop counting total training hours. And instead, we just simply focused building around the key days and doing all that we could to be effective during those days. Now, of course, rippling underneath this was that the supporting sessions were building baseline resilience and fitness and were being wholly positive in the overall global performance lens. But in her mindset, it was all about service of those key sessions. In support of this revised training approach, we had Julie double down on nutrition. So we made sure that she was completely committed to fueling, post-workout fueling particularly, and we amplified her baseline eating. And we have to acknowledge that actually when you're training to this level, it's quite stressful emotionally and physically to actually consume enough calories to truly support the training. So for a highly trained athlete, and it sounds counterintuitive and paradoxical to so many of you guys, but it is quite stressful to eat enough to support the training. So we really had to make that a key component. We then as a part of the training, the final component is that we actually decided to go into a repeated rhythm or pattern of training. So we aligned cycles of training, typically two to three weeks in duration, to repeat, 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 evolve, evolve, evolve. So we went down to simplicity. And the reason for that is because if we're asking the athlete who is highly motivated to make such a drastic change in their training, we wanted to enable them to see and feel progression. And of course, when you have familiarity and you see progression, what comes out of it but confidence? Now, notice, there's no magic elixirs here. There's no new toys. There's no new tools. Just realignment of habits and approach to the training that's already there. Now, interestingly, her overall training hours didn't really dramatically alter. We added nothing of note. If you're looking at external eyes, we just move things around and we simply transition the goalpost on how we view training. And no, training didn't get easier because there is no easier path if you want to be great. It just got more precise. Now, I think it's important to add here on a tangent, we should also highlight mindset because underlying here is an important tangent that Julie had something that is really common in racing, which was a weighted mindset. This time must be my time. In other words, stacking pressure on a single day. And so she was so outcome-focused and event-focused that the looming races were viewed less and less like opportunities to shine and more and more as growing sources of fear. And for this, we had to shift. So what we did was try and get to the roots of why Julie was doing the sport. 
We wanted to make the journey about personal development rather than her competitors. And we wanted to open up permission. I use that word deliberately, permission to have fun. So often forgotten at the elite level, you're allowed to enjoy the process. Yes, it's very serious, but that doesn't mean it can't be fun. And finally, we wanted to focus on the predictability of performance via the training rhythm. So what were the results? Well, for Julie, the backbone was the phrase that I like so much, performance predictability. Achieve this in training and the chances of race performance elevate. Familiarity with what works, emerging confidence and the chance to lift on race day. Out of this arose some special personal performances that ultimately led to good results. Now, the bigger thing though, the most important for me as a coach, was that Julie was smiling and having fun. She was growing in confidence. And it wasn't the outcome that yielded the smiles, but I think it was the lack of deep and hardly noticeable residual fatigue. You see, tiredness destroys the athlete's responsiveness, reaction, performance level, and yes, it destroys happiness and enjoyment. And without that, long-term, Houston, we have a problem. And so globally, Julie really is a great athlete that I can explain the transition from arriving fit and fatigued to emerging to being fit and fresh. One of the great sayings of Purple Patch. But we should also acknowledge again, it doesn't mean that the pathway is easy. It requires the ability to evolve and change old habits. And that takes courage every time. And that, boys and girls, is on you. And so the lesson, well, so often the solution to your performance isn't adding something or working harder. It's finding your recipe. And in my experience, that recipe has to include a blended, all-encompassing framework anchored around the pillars of performance, endurance, nutrition, recovery, and strength. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to win a world championship or simply trying to thrive in life. Those have to be key components. In fact, just the other day, I was speaking to our coaching team and I said words to this effect. It is impossible for an athlete to be a purple patch athlete without buying into the mindset and approach. They won't find long-term success and happiness with us if they cannot buy into a global performance mindset. This means that a purple patch coach must live by the pillars of performance. And it means that every conversation should be focused and anchored around those elements. This is the only way that we can help people thrive. And it's not just in sport team, but it's in life. So I hope that today's case studies go some way to explaining the mindset. And so to end, what does this mean in a global recovery mindset? Well, we have to answer that by saying, what does it not mean? Let's identify what it doesn't mean. Recovery is not a superfood. It's not a new tool. It's not weighing calories. It's not a voodoo diet. It's not an hour of foam roller every night. It's not some magical garment, recovery bed limbing or monitoring device. You cannot buy recovery. It's a mindset, an approach that provides equal value 
in the performance puzzle to aspects such as post-workout fueling, sleep, easier days, downtime, and yes, time to breathe for yourself. As it does for the last hard track session or the series of tough hill repeats on the bike. I also think it's one that embraces not just following metrics or responding to the latest HRV reading, but it simply takes these aspects into account and sees them of what they are, great supporting information to help you, the animal, make an informed decision on your performance journey. No metrics will provide the answer. They can help frame, but truly adopting a recovery mindset means learning to listen to yourself understanding the sensations and ultimately being able to come out of the weeds and defining training success to be consistency and nailing the sessions that move that performance needle. To me, all sounds pretty simple, don't you think? So guys, thanks very much. Case studies there. No questions this week. We're going to go straight to the end. But I am excited to see some of you next week with Christy. Remember, Sunday, February 24th, the Bindery in San Francisco. We're going to dive deep into recovery, and I'm sure there'll be lots of stories, and I know that you'll get plenty of opportunity to ask us questions there. I also know I'm going to learn a thing or two, because I promise you, she is quite exceptional. Well, we'll leave the information in the show notes, but until next time, take care. Make sure you balance hard work with some of that well-earned recovery. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!